The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. die for even me that's just more than I can comprehend uh, last two Sundays ago when we were celebrating communion as we were doing it I was sitting thinking about those very words and thanking the Lord amazed that he would do that and still scratching my head why he did we just can't quite understand the Lord's love, but it is so great and so perfect. It's good to be here this evening. Thank you for having me. Uh, I've been here a number of times over the years, which has been a great joy and was very pleased when I got the uh, invitation again. Tonight we are looking at the third of the final words of Christ on the cross. And each of these words speaks great and important things to us about what God has for us and what Jesus was doing on the cross. As we prepare for this, would you, if you have Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 19. We're going to begin at verse 25 and read all the way through verse 26. It's not a long passage, but it is so full of great and wonderful things. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Dear woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. And so, Heavenly Father, this evening as we meditate on these words, on this very important statement of Jesus from the cross. Give us insight, insight that makes us amazed at who he is, at his love for us. Oh Lord, help us that we might hear your word and, and hunger and thirst after your righteousness. And we ask this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Keith uh, mentioned that my brother Rick had been a member here before he passed away. Uh, I would also point out that my father, which, who some of you knew, was a member of the Presbytery. He uh, was pastor at Trinity Church in Harrisburg for, for his last assignment. And then, of course, Lord called him home 
But dad was the most godly man I've ever known. How fortunate to have that kind of a father. Uh, I have never felt worthy of that, but nevertheless, that's how the Lord blessed me. And we often would say of dad that his worst day was better than most people's best day. That's coming from one who lived with him and saw the imperfections, but understood his great love for the Lord Jesus, understood even more the Lord Jesus' great love for him. Having said that, let me just point out that one of the other things that amazes me is that now that I'm getting almost to the age he was when the Lord called him home, I'm finding that the Lord has been working in me in some significant ways that I am starting to catch him in some of those things. Uh, it's the wonderful encouragement of sanctification as God brings it into our lives. I don't think I live up to him, but I'm at least heading in that direction. It's from dad that I learn what it means to be a godly man. Yes, I learned that from the scripture, but it was his modeling for it, his mentoring. It was him teaching me mostly by how he lived, although he was pretty deliberate in what he said as well. But it was watching him and imitating him where I really learned what it was to be like Jesus. I say that because on the cross, Jesus provided for us a much, much better example. In fact, I'm almost embarrassed to bring my father's example up in the same breath with the Lord because it was so much beyond there, and I'm quite aware of that. But as we see Jesus hanging on the cross in agony, we see him modeling what he said that we were to be. And as we see that, we learn wonderful things about what we need to be. There are a couple of things that we see about Jesus on the cross. One is, to how, is for how we should live out our faith in difficult times. Some of you are facing difficult times this evening, and the rest of you will. And so you need to listen to what Jesus does in showing us that. But the second thing is that he acted in such a way that he gave further evidence to the very claims he had made in his earthly ministry, the claims that he and the Father were one, that he was sent from the Father, that he was God before Abraham was, I am, I am God. And as he hung on the cross, he gave evidence for that, that that was convincing. And so it's good for us to take time to look at how he handled that situation. Remember that it was it was the thief who started off mocking him and ended up asking, take me to be with you in paradise. Because he had been convinced just by watching. 
It was the centurion who, as Jesus finally gave up his spirit, said, surely this was the Son of God. You know, it reminds me that we have a responsibility for those who watch us, that we might model what it means to know and love Jesus. And we see that here with Jesus in this particular part of the crucifixion story. It's interesting to notice some of the attitudes that were there around the cross that wretched afternoon. There were, of course, the two thieves, one on either side. And they were filled with bitterness and hatred. And we can imagine the vile things that came from their mouths as they hung on the cross beside Jesus, angry at the people who had done this to them, angry at God, with venom coming out of them in all kinds of ways. They were showing where their hearts really were. That is, until the one thief began to notice Jesus. They had mocked Jesus, and when Jesus didn't retort like they would have, that thief began to recognize something much different. And then there were the soldiers that were there at the foot of the cross, the very ones who had nailed him, first of all, to the crossbars, and then his feet to the little foot platform. They were hardened. They'd done that probably hundreds of times. And in their state, they were sadistic. They didn't care. They didn't care about his suffering. In fact, we get the sense that they would have laughed at it because they did mock him. And so you see men who probably were as undeserving of being at the cross as anyone you can imagine. And they were there that day, for the most part, unmoved by what God was doing. And then one of the ones that really causes confusion is that the leaders, the Jewish leaders were there. The very ones who should have recognized Jesus, who should have bowed before him, were the very ones who had him crucified and executed. And as they were there, we know that they mocked Jesus. In fact, the leaders of God's people mocked God's work, God's son, God's Messiah, cheered as he was dying. It's hard to understand how that could have been, and yet it was, because we see what sin does in hardening our hearts. And yet there was another group that was there. It was, it was the Apostle John with Mary, Jesus' mother, her sister. And then with them was the wife of Cleopas and Mary Magdalene. Four women there. Five people together who loved Jesus What's interesting about them is that they were in torture as they watched. In fact, although the Bible doesn't spell this out, it's not hard to understand because we see it about the disciples uh, after the crucifixion was over, and that is they had lost all hope. Their hope for the future was hanging, dying on the cross, experiencing maybe the most treacherous painful kind of death that man has ever concocted. 
And they were there in tears, totally defeated. But they were there because they loved him. They were there because they believed in him. And I can only imagine that they were asking, we believed and this is what we get. There was faith that was, that was lost at that moment, or at least deeply challenged. But they were there. And then as we see, we look at Jesus. I'm not going to go into a long description of what Jesus was going through. That's probably not really what we need to do. But Jesus was at the peak of his agony. And his agony was this. First of all, he'd been nailed to the cross. And the nailing of his appendages to the cross was something of incredible pain as it ripped through muscles and tendons and nerves. And those things just presented more and more pain for him. He was put on the cross and it was dropped into the hole. And I'm assuming from Psalm 22 that his bones were all knocked out of joint. So the pain that was from there, but, but maybe greater than that, was the fact that he was hung in such a way that he couldn't breathe. He could get air in, he couldn't get it out. And as he would try to do that, he would try to raise himself up on his feet so that he could get the air out. But the agony and the pain would have been just like fire running through his body. He could only do that for just a a few seconds. So the pain was incredible. The agony was terrible. But you know, that was the easy part of it. He had resting upon him the sins of the world. Remember how John the Baptist said, Behold, this Lamb of God takes upon him the sin of the world. He had your sin and my sin resting upon him. He who knew no sin, who had never sinned, had the sin of the entire world from all of history sitting upon him. I won't go into that very much except to simply point out to you that he had... He had, as God, never been in the presence of sin till he came to earth in Bethlehem because he would not tolerate sin in his presence. It was anathema to him because it was the exact opposite of what he was. And now all the sins were resting upon him. My sin and those things that I'm not about to tell you about were resting on him, and he knew that. And so the pain of that, the weight of the sin of the world on his shoulders had to be overwhelming. But more than that, because it gets worse, there was the presence of the demonic world. I'm sure that Satan was there, although we aren't told that he was. But it would have been something like this as Jesus hung on the cross, the demonic forces would have come charging in upon him, screaming at him and cackling and laughing and daring him and mocking him. He who knew no sin, facing the horrible, damnable experience of the demonic world attacking him. For those of us who've ever experienced any of it, you know how difficult it can be 
But to have the most powerful of all the demons doing that, I can't begin to imagine the horror and the pain. And yet, in all of that, do you know what he was doing? He was there with you in mind. I'll frequently say to people that he saw your face as he hung on the cross and my face because he was dying for us and he would have been seeing exactly who it was that he was dying for, knowing full well how undeserving we are. And so it was a totally different attitude in the midst of all of the agony that he had. It wasn't causing him to scream out to respond in hatred and curses, but rather there was love that was there. Again, something more than I can begin to comprehend. He considered himself below the others around him. How amazing. He considers us before he considers himself. As he was on the cross, he saw there his mother, her tears, her brokenness. How she could stand there and watch, I don't know. It was out of her love for her son that she did that. And he saw John, his beloved disciple. And as he saw them, he saw the lostness, the sense of betrayal, the brokenness. But he saw them and he cared for them in the middle of his pain which was so overwhelming that not one of us could have even begun to stand up under it. In the middle of that, Jesus cared for them. I know just a touch of what that's like. In 1979, we had our infant son die. And you can imagine, if it's your first child or any child, how overwhelmingly difficult that was. And it just happened that right at that point, there was a young couple in our church who I'd been working with for months to prepare them for their wedding. And they said, well, we'll go find somebody else. And I said, no, you can't do that. I'm not going to let my struggles interrupt what you have been waiting for. And so I did their funeral and then left immediately to go to the cemetery for a funeral. I did their wedding, I mean, and went immediately to go to the cemetery for the funeral of our son. It was really hard. And, and, and that's as much of a, of a contradiction as I've ever experienced. But it was nothing compared to what Jesus had as he hung on the cross. And there in the midst of all of that, he saw Mary and he loved her. He would have remembered Simeon's prophecy back when Jesus was taken to the temple at eight days because remember Simeon said to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your soul as well. And now that prophecy had come true as her soul, as her heart was being torn apart there at the foot of the cross. But what we see in Jesus is compassion. Compassion for those who were hurting and hurting badly. Not anger for himself, 
not even considering himself, but considering his mother whom he loved so dearly. And then there was his concern for her. Instead of being concerned for himself, his concern was what will happen to my mother. See, apparently Joseph was dead, and apparently had been dead for some time. He was the oldest son, so he was by law the one responsible for his mother. And now he was dying. What would happen? There wasn't any welfare system. There wasn't any other kind of, of public help except what, what dole might come from uh, the rich giving to the poor in a haphazard kind of way. But in the middle of that, in the middle of his concern for his mother, concern for her well-being, concern for her broken heart, he said to John, to his mother, Behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In the midst of all of that, his concern was for his mother so that she would be taken care of. We're told that by tradition, that Mary lived another 11 or 12 years and that she was with John. And when John moved, she moved. That she was there and he took care of her as a son would take care of his mother. But Jesus, in his concern, cared for her. What's, what's amazing is Jesus' compa compassion not for them, not just for them, but for us. His compassion for you and for me. Sometimes I find that I'm not as compassionate as I ought to be. Sometimes my attitude is, well, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. That was never Jesus' attitude, was it? But rather, in their darkest moment, when their hope was gone and when they had nothing left to give, there was Jesus being compassionate for them. And in our darkest moments, he is compassionate for us. Oh, if you've lived long enough and you've known Jesus well enough, you know his compassion, his love, his ongoing care. But that's what he was demonstrating there at the cross. Something else that we notice about this. He was willing to accept us, accept the people around him, in spite of their sin. There's the thief. He hadn't done anything good. He had only done things that deserved to be nailed on the cross. And yet Jesus accepted him. He said, this day you will be with me in paradise. He accepted a person who had nothing to give except his soul. And in Jesus' willingness, he forgave him and granted eternal life. And then Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for the very soldiers who nailed him to the cross. That God might not hold that particular sin against them because they didn't understand what they were doing. That's a pretty amazing prayer, and yet Jesus did that. And then there was John. 
It was just a few hours earlier when John, when Jesus needed John the most that he and all the other disciples fled in the Garden of Gethsemane and allowed him to stand alone before the high priest and the Sanhedrin and then Pilate. And at that very time, at that very hour, the other disciples were not there apparently. John was with Mary, but John had abandoned him. And yet Jesus forgave him, restored him, and gave him this most impressive and important job of caring for his mother. In other words, he was saying, John, not only do I forgive you, I'm entrusting to you other than my care for my father, the most important thing I have, my mother. I'm thinking of Peter, who had denied the Lord three times, and yet the Lord Jesus forgave him. Not only did he forgive him, he restored him and gave him an incredibly prominent role in building the church across Europe. In Asia. So we see Jesus at the cross forgiving and establishing. Jesus said himself he'd come to this world to save sinners. And he was living that out in a very amazing capacity that afternoon at Golgotha. And then there's, there's a, one more thing that I think we need to recognize about Jesus, and that is that he promised to care for us, and indeed, he does. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll be there with you. And then he said, I will not leave you defenseless. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. He said to the disciples, I'm going away and where I'm going you cannot come, but I will come back after I prepare a place for you to get you. He had promised that he would care for their needs. And here he was living that very thing out. He lived it out in terms of sending the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit might replace him because limited in his body, he could only be at one place at a time, but the Holy Spirit as a spirit could be anywhere. And so he sent the Holy Spirit who in, in a very practical way was able to care better for them than Jesus could simply because the Spirit could be in all those places at the same time. And then we need to recognize that he cares for us by interceding for us. Do you feel alone tonight? Do you feel like you can't begin to even comprehend how you're going to make it till tomorrow? I want you to know that Jesus is there praying for you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the apostle says that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And then in eight verses later, he says the Son is praying to the Father for you. The Holy Spirit and the Son, the second and third persons of the Trinity, are praying to the Father for us. And if you are feeling alone tonight, 
know that Jesus is praying for you perfectly. And his prayer is perfectly answered as he cares for us in these difficult times. There's one more thing that that we ought to recognize. Jesus came to pay for sin, our sin. But in order to do it, he had to be perfect. He had to be without sin, but he also had to do something else. He had to fulfill and perfectly keep the law. And he did that. He never sinned, but he did keep the law. But I want you to recognize that there was one little piece of the law here that could have been overlooked that he did not overlook. It was to honor his mother. And so he cared for her as part of his process for obeying even the smallest little pieces of the law of God. And this is so important because it's that that made it possible for us to have our sin forgiven. The fact that the law had now been perfectly kept and that the penalty for sin had been paid by his blood as it was spilled out there on the cross and that that then allowed for us to be saved because one died in our place. Oh, this passage of Jesus caring for his mother is so great because we see in it the great care he has, not only for his mother, but for us. The great perfect plan that he has in caring for you, in meeting you with where you are, in forgiving sins no matter how deep they are or how gross they might be. Yet there is the Lord Jesus doing those things for you. Would you join me as we pray together? Oh, Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you are loving us in such an amazing, wonderful way. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the cross As hideous as it was, it was wonderful. It was wonderful because it's where you showed your love for us, that you would send your son to die for us, and that as he died for us, he provided for his mother, and he provides for us. And we thank you, O Lord, that not only did Jesus die on the cross, but three days later he rose again conquering death, making it clear that the penalty of death could not hold him and therefore could not hold us. We thank you for this. And as we go through this this Lenten time and prepare for Easter, continue to remind us, O Lord, of these things. And we ask, Lord, these things in your holy, precious name. Amen.